Well, hey, 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 welcome to Frontlines, a bi-weekly uh, online interactive show where uh, usually Peyton Jones and I are talking about current issues that pastors and church planters, church leaders are facing on the ground as they lead churches, as they're leading ministries. I'd mentioned Peyton Jones. He's not here with us today because I have an, a more amazing co-host <laughs> today uh, substituting in uh Jesse Cruikshank, who is, among many other things, a philosopher, a, uh, a neuroecclesiologist. Jesse, I'll let you explain that in just a second here. <laughs> and a leadership developer among us. She's uh, a, a big, huge friend of Exponential. Uh, her and Jeff Christofferson, who is actually a colleague and the co-founder of the Sentence to which I direct, they both lead a show every other week opposite of ours on the future of the church. And so Jesse, thanks for being here. You and I are gonna have a conversation today with an amazing guest today. But before we go to Aubrey, why don't you share a little bit about what is a neural ecclesiologist? Cause I think inquiring minds wanna know. Sure, it's a super fancy word that usually, you know, I get like a fee of $20 or something that people say, you know, it's like one of those high dollar words. Um, neuro means uh, stuff about the brain and ecclesiology means stuff about the church. So it's kind of that intersection of how did God create us? And then what does that mean when we do this thing where we come together and we have a, you know, an ecclesia, a church, a denomination, a people of God. So, yeah, it's just fancy because I do a lot of things and, you know, then you get to write your own title. So. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think, you know, I, I'm sure everybody who does something with you always mentions the fact that you earned your degree at Harvard in neuroscience. And so just got to make sure we put that out there just so the room knows who's the smartest in the room. <laughs> it's going to be Aubrey for sure. No way. There's no yeah, way yeah, I oh, could We're going to bring in Aubrey. Yeah, we're going to bring in Aubrey. So as a matter of fact, um, we're really excited to have uh, Aubrey Sampson with us today. Aubrey's a, a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. We actually live probably, I don't know, 20 minutes away from ah. Yeah. And so Aubrey's a church planter and author of a couple of books. Uh, the one most recently is The Louder Song, which we'll talk about um, mm -hmm. as well. Uh, but Aubrey, you're working on a new book as well. But today, mm -hmm. I'm really excited to have you here because uh, you and uh, your husband, Kevin, you guys planted Renewal Church in West Chicago, which neighbors my town here in Aurora. And I've been, man, I've been so blessed uh, by the both of you as friends uh, and to preach, you know, I think maybe three or four times at, at Renewal. So That's right. this for me is kind of like, a, it's a treat because like usually when Peyton and I bring folks on, they're really awesome people, but I've not like, I've you know, when do you get to bring a friend on? So, I know, that's so fun. I love it. Yeah. So thanks for being on. And so um, we're going to let you introduce yourself in a little bit. But usually Peyton and I, what we do is to help really our listeners and those who lead churches to really connect with our with our, our, our guests is we kind of we try to ask questions about like our disaster moments in ministry. Like what are those moments in ministry where, you know, you learn best from, you know, failure or mistakes than sometimes from your own successes. So to the three of us, um, what is one of your most either embarrassing or your, you know, what's one of those moments in ministry that you just felt like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that happened. And so, uh, Aubrey, since you're the guest of honor today, we're going to start with you. You're going to put me in the hot spot. Yeah. I actually have a great story. It is so great to be here, by the way. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel and Jesse. I'm so excited to be here. Okay. This is a good story. Are you ready for it? Mm -hmm. Um, a church where I got my start in ministry. I won't say its name cause it's just down the corner, but we were at a, um, uh, all church meeting. Mm 
And afterwards, I was having an interaction with an elder at our church and just, I mean, just chatting. And it was a, the moment where it was time for the conversation to end. And he went, I think, to hug me or shake my hand, but I wasn't sure what the right move was. So I sort of like went in, somehow it ended up with my mouth on his neck. And I literally just in my head, I was like, don't move your mouth. Don't move your mouth. Don't move your mouth. And um, thankfully, I didn't move my mouth. We pulled away awkwardly. We did not make eye contact with each other. And I walked away and I thought, never again. Like always, I'm just going to go handshake. I'm just not even going to like question it. That I was like in my early 20s. So that was a that was a mortifying moment. This is an awesome church greeting team (laughs) (laughs) that's mine uh what about you jesse (laughs) oh man you know i've been i've been in full-time ministry for for 20 years and and i'm like oh my gosh which one how how i screwed it up um you know i think the one that i that is just in my mind right now um is I, it's kind of one of my leadership fails. I keep my three leadership fails like on my wall next to me to remind me that I can survive <laughs> anything. <laughs> and um, one of them was just a, a young man that I was mentoring. And um, I didn't really understand, and I was kind of immature. Um, I didn't understand what it meant to like release somebody into their calling. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I'd been mentoring him. He had followed me to from one job to another. Um, and he was being invited back to his college to share about his journey and his life. And, you know, cause he had actually been putting his degree into practice. And I said, I said an awful thing. I said, um, are you going to thank me for <laughs> scaffolding your life? And I like it was, it was horrible. And it took me, it took me like a couple weeks to realize like how actually horrible and demeaning that was. Um, but it definitely hurt his heart. And I could, I could just watch his heart break in that moment. And so that's why it's like one of my great leadership fails, because instead of just sending him out and launching him into something amazing and yeah, I was all like, no, you have to give me credit for it. So, um, I wish I could say that that was when I was in my twenties, but it was actually when I was in my thirties. <laughs> And I've repented um, to him. Yes. What did you, I mean? What was repentance like? Um, honestly, he he and his wife lived in our basement because we were mentoring. They moved out within a week because I broke his heart so bad, and it took him two years to forgive me. Wow! 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 But hey, yeah. you went back. That's that's a huge leadership lesson. Right? That is a huge lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, like uh, I can write a little book on worship leader fails. I was I started out as a worship pastor and I can tell you the moments were like, you know, I had my cable on the wrong fret. I mean, those are just basic technical things that happen all the time. But there is one time where our cheat screens went out and I didn't know the words to the. <laughs> oh, no. It's so I just started making things up. That's it is totally my bad because I should have memorized the songs. Um, and so here am I leading this congregation and I mean, they they got the words up in behind me. I just don't have them up in front of me. And so I'm just making things up. That's amazing. <laughs> it, we went through almost like almost an entire verse before, uh, they finally got the cheat monitors up. So <laughs> we, share, we share all of this because we know for those of you guys who are leading churches, uh, and you're leading on the ground that this stuff happens mm-hmm. and this is part of ministry. Like there's, there's, uh, there's nothing about what we do 
that demands like a certain kind of professionalism that you couldn't you couldn't survive like you know god has us in his grasp and so we're really excited to serve you today specifically as we talk about something really really important um, you know our subject today that we're talking about is two leadership essentials for this particular season of ministry coming you know somewhat out of the pandemic we're not out of it but we're kind of emerging out of it and we get to process a year of like a crazy strange uh, season of ministry mm -hmm. and we want to talk about specifically grief and lament the reason why we asked aubrey to come on is that there's been some things that god has done in her life that she's written about in her uh, most recent book the louder song but uh, you know in, in overcomers as well aubrey i think you you wrote a lot about it as well mm -hmm. and uh we just think that it's it's a great time to prepare our hearts for this next season of ministry but not to neglect uh, the need for grief and lament. So, hey, Aubrey, thanks for being on. Before we jump into anything else, would you mind just sharing a little bit about your background, your ministry, your family? Sure, I would love to. Um, well, you said my husband and I are church planters here in West Chicago. We planted a renewal church about five and a half years ago now, which feels unbelievable. The last year, of course, being a blur in that five and a half years, but we have three sons, um, a 14 year old, a 11 year old and a nine year old. And so we're doing life with kids that are sometimes home and sometimes in school. Now the school is beginning to transition back. Um, I do writing and speaking and I'm in a grad program at Wheaton college. Um, and you know, we're just trying to love our neighbors and make our way through this crazy season like everybody else is. It's been a rough one. I was telling Daniel, we lost a really young man at our church suddenly last week to COVID complications. And so we are in the heart of grieving and lamenting. So I'm glad to be here today to talk about those things because I think it's so crucial, crucial for such a time as this. Oh, man. Well, Aubrey, before before we kind of deep dive into it, I want to I want to especially since my story was like way heavy, let, you know, light in the moment, <laughs> and, you know, last week, um, I don't know about you, but I like, I like WandaVision. Um, the first two, I was like, what am we doing? And I thought I was just like totally confused, but I'm totally hooked now. Yes. And, um, this week that was pretty profound, at least to me as Wanda is walking through her trauma and having, and as a person who's had a lot of trauma in my life, like I really appreciate, appreciate seeing that reflected back to me in a healthy way. And Vision said um, to Wanda um, in one of the scenes, um, he said, what is grief but love persevering? Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, what do you think that means? And what do you think that says about the season of grief and lament that we're all in that like this show that <laughs> is really holding this space well is, is having such an impact on us? Yeah. I love that show. I'm so glad we're talking about WandaVision as we start. We watch it every Friday night as a family. We get pizza and watch Wanda. It kind of took the place of The Mandalorian for us. So we've moved from that now to WandaVision. And then um, I think the Captain America show is next. So I'm excited about that. I think that um, all laments are love songs in the end. And so I think it is such a profound quote that, you know, what is grief but love persevering? I think sometimes the uh, we have this concept that grief and and love are somehow opposites, right? Because grief feels like it's just despair and it's just depression. And certainly those are aspects of grief. But the reality is we grieve the things we love. Otherwise, we wouldn't be grieving. We wouldn't care. We would move on. And so I think it's actually a really prophetic statement that this show is 
making and a call to church leaders to begin making those types of statements for our people that are grieving right now, whether or not they even realize it. Oh, man. So what do you think? I I don't think the church is really a place that many people think about as um, to process grief. You know, maybe a funeral is or or if I'm at a church for a funeral, um, but in the normal course of an evangelical service, um, you know, the songs are upbeat and everything is just like, ah, yeah, we're going to overcome and conquer. Um, And so it's not a place when I think about grieving, I don't necessarily think of going to a church unless it's like Good Friday, right? Stations of the Cross. Um, So what do you think the consequences are for us as ministers, as leaders, as pastors, if we don't learn to grieve and lament in a healthy way? Like what is lost for us or what are the consequences of being stuck in uh, ungrieved pain? Yeah, that's a terrific question, Jesse. Um, you know, I think anecdotally, right? If you try to hide all of your trash somewhere in your house and pretend like it doesn't exist, soon your whole house is going to start stinking, right? There, your grief that is unworked through will leak out. I mean, there will be a cost to someone, whether it's your congregation, whether it's your own soul, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your neighbor, grief leaks out. It, it just explodes. It does not stay contained. And um, that's okay. I mean, I think that's what grief is meant to do. But we as Christians have this opportunity to bring our grief and our lament to God, to um, do grief and lament communally. So we don't have to like hide it. We don't have to pretend like it's not happening. And in that we find that the Holy spirit meets us and we actually have more intimacy with God. We actually experience healing and worship in a deeper way than, than we would have had we pretended like it never happened in the first place. Right. And so I think the consequence really is a lot of unhealth. If we're not willing to go there, the benefit of lamenting and grieving communally with our church folks and teaching them to do it is Really, I mean, I I mean this so deeply. It is a greater experience of the Lord's presence. God says he is with us. He is with those who suffer. And so we long to experience God's presence. Why not invite him into like the deepest, rawest places of our souls so that we can experience him there? There's only good that can happen, even though it's hard. Yeah, so so much good there. You know, a, a part of uh, the the process that pastors and I'm speaking to those who are listening and those who are watching the playback here uh, of giving yourself that place of permission to just mm-hmm. like be in that place of grief and lament. You know, it's not that you're going to stay there. It's not that you know that's going to be you know a sustained season. For some, it might be you know depending on what the loss is. But it's learning to be in that place. And I find that you know I'm, I'm my, my background is I'm I'm Hmong American. But like uh, in the in the culture that we live in, the American culture, like we really don't have like uh, spaces where like you can grieve and lament that is like acceptable, except the funeral home. You know, let's say, for instance, like I'm not Korean, but in Korean cultures, they have wailing prayers. And it's this kind of prayer that comes from a really deep sadness. You know, we think about African Americans. They have the this, the the uh, African, you know, uh, what used to be called the the African like uh, spirituals that talk about the pain and the suffering. And I think that maybe the culture that we find ourselves in it doesn't give us the permission to do that. And so, as if as we're talking about things, and if it's hitting a chord with you, and you got a question, 
feel free to throw it there in the chat and then um, Brooks is going to throw it to us and we're going to make sure that Aubrey can process that with you. But hey, we, we don't really always do this on the show, but if we hit on something and you just need prayer as well, mm -hmm. I don't mind turning this into a prayer hotline. We'll pray for you guys. All right. So uh, any of that could happen right now. Um, but, you know, part of what you're sharing, I love that. I mean, I love the idea that lament is a song. Oh, that's a powerful. And that grief leaks out. Some of the stuff you talk about in your book, The Louder Song, and I was super honored to, to be uh, able to endorse that, by the way. Uh, and you talk about your own journey that you and Kevin and your kids had while you were planting the church. And part of your experience was having a son with, uh, you know, medical issues. And mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine how difficult it is to already plant a church, but to do it with somebody with such, uh, such high medical needs. Yeah. Can you talk about that, doing something difficult and then also mm -hmm. having to, to really work through difficult mm -hmm. seasons of, of medical challenges? Yeah, that, that was an insane season. The, um, so our youngest son, Nolan, was going through some major stuff with his uh, spinal cord. He had to have spinal cord surgery, and then we had to keep him flat on his back for three months. And that was as we were launching the church. Simultaneously, um, I actually lost my cousin, Cameron, who I was really close with. He was like a brother to me growing up. Cameron was snowshoe hiking in Crater Lake National Park, Oregon, and he stepped out onto a snow cornice. He actually took a picture. He sent it to me. I have it on my phone and um, he plummeted to his death. And um, it's been six years and park rangers still haven't found his body. He's somewhere in the waters of Crater Lake. And then on top of that, I, I think because of the stress and the grief, this is what I mean when I say grief leaks out. I got really, really sick with an autoimmune disease and Kevin was actually carrying me around the house. This is all happening while we're planting Renewal Church. And so, um, you know, I've been a Christian for 30 plus years and I would love to tell you that I kind of went, hey, I, I'm more than a conqueror. I can rise above this stuff. It's, but I mean, I fell to the ground. And I was like, okay, God, <laughs> if you're real, fine. I can believe you're real. Why would you allow this to happen? I mean, it was the first time I was really grappling with like, okay, evil is evil and God is good. These are things I believe. I have to learn to hold these two things at the same time. And that feels impossible. I don't know how to make that. I don't know how to make sense of that. And um, thankfully, what I love about our scriptures is that God not only gives us permission to lament and cry out to him in grief, he gives us the language for it. We have sufferers all throughout the Bible that have put words to their pain and to their community's pain. So I began, honestly, just because I didn't have words, just to sort of join in this like historical, ecumenical, ecclesial language that was given to me. Uh, through my faith to say, I, 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 God, how long is this going to last? Okay, I'm just, I don't know how to put words to this. So I'm going to pray David's prayer. I'm going to pray Jeremiah's prayers. I'm going to pray Job's prayers because this is all I can cling to right now. And um, in it, God met me. And, I, you know, that's, that is the most powerful thing I can say is that in my deepest, deepest, rawest, most doubt-filled, ugly moment of life, God showed up because he is Emmanuel. And although I wouldn't ever say, I'm so glad I went through that, I would say I have seen the presence of God in the valley. And um, had I not gone there, I would have missed out on experiencing him on the other side when finally I began to see breakthrough and freedom. All right, let me piggyback off that because I mean, you're hit on something really crucial in terms of using scriptures like 
Um, can you help our, our listeners like understand like how did lament become real to you? Mm-hmm. What was it about like because you, you can read Jeremiah and you can see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And at some moment you realize that, hey, I'm doing that too. Like, mm-hmm. did you have moments like that? And then how, especially how did you process that as a church leader who sometimes, you know, you're supposed to be on, you're supposed to you know, <laughs> feel that, you know, what was that like for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say it was sort of a fake it till you make it situation. Like I kind of determined okay, this is a moment where I could sort of walk away from everything and just be like, all right, God, I'm done. This is too much. I'm out. You know, we're planning a church. We're supposed to be doing this amazing thing that you've called us to do. Like, you're not supposed to let these bad things happen. But I knew, you know, I knew that wasn't faithful. And I knew that obviously we have a we have a history of sufferers in scripture. We have a suffering savior. So I knew that God had something for me, for the church, for my marriage, for my kids in the middle of our suffering. And so I just was like, all right, I'm going to just read these. Uh, I'm going to read Psalm 13 aloud every single day. And I would just do that. And it was honestly a fake it till you make it until I feel like the Holy Spirit began to meet me and just um, show me, you know, interestingly, a lot of laments follow like a, almost an Exodus journey. Like you're, um, you're enslaved in some way to, to suffering and pain. You find that God is actually meeting you and setting you free. And then you cross over the Red Sea, right? That's a lot of the pattern of laments in scripture. And so I just found that although I have not experienced anything as painful as being an enslaved person, I did find that that was the pattern that God was moving me through. I found that he was with me. I found that he was beginning to help me cross over to the other side. And so it just, it became internalized, I guess, this, this ancient language because the Holy Spirit uses the word of God. And so the Holy Spirit met me there. I don't know if that answers your question. It's a little bit conceptual, but that's how God showed up. That was so good. And I just love just mapping that out. I think it's so helpful to people. Yeah. So, so Aubrey, that kind of, I also want to kind of dive into that just a little deeper as well. Um, I think one of the things that prevents us from lamenting is this idea of that we have to have it all together when we come towards God, right? We have to have our face washed and we have to have our, our, our duds on. And, and, and this idea that of being mad at God for allowing what we go through. I mean, I was raised that that was sinful. Like it was like to have negative emotions towards God was a sign of sin. It was doubt. It was unbelief. Like, and so that just became another thing that you would, you would squash down. And so in lamenting, being honest, even uh, with God. And I think about my season of um, eight years trying to have babies and losing them. And I also just read the Psalms out loud because I was so angry Like I couldn't pray, even though I was leading a ministry, but I could say the Psalms and the Psalms gave me, and Job gave me so much language for that because I had to overcome that anger to find a place of authenticity with God. So I'm I'm wondering what, what you found, what tools or even what paradigm shifts you had that, that you could share with our viewers on how to make that transition of being more authentic with God, with our negative emotions and being more honest with him about that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think a few kind of paradigm shifts for me. Um, one, as I looked, I mean, this seems so obvious, but I looked at Jesus on the cross and realized like, 
oh, <laughs> he's literally embracing his limitedness. He's literally embracing his anger. He's literally embracing his sense of being forsaken by God. And that's Jesus. That's God himself. So if Jesus can do it, then what am I afraid of here? Um, so I think that was really freeing just to, um, okay, this is, this is what we see embodied by our own Lord and Savior. So why can we not follow this example? And then I think practically, um, there were still some things I was afraid to say out loud. Like we have talked about a little bit. Being a church leader, you do feel the pressure to like be on and you've got it all together in your relationship with God. You're fine. So I began to do this privately. Um, I had a journal. I wrote the word Icha on it. That's what uh, Lamentations is called in the Hebrew Bible. It means how. And I just began to write down all of my hows. Um, God, how are you going to fix this? God, how difficult this is. I can't take it anymore. God, um, hey, my marriage feels like it's falling apart right now. This is too much for me and Kevin to handle. How are you going to show up here? God, how could you let this happen to my family? I mean, I just began to be very vulnerable with God on paper because that gave me permission to uh, not pretend, right? And then I would just, I mean, I, I still do this spiritual discipline, which may sound funny to some of you, you may totally get it. Then I would just really imagine myself holding all of my ikaz, all of my house, and giving them to God. I would go, okay, God, here, I, I can't solve this. I can't fix it. I don't know how to make sense of it. So I'm just going to leave it here with you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of it because you're God. I'm not. So here you go. And that allowed me, I think, to have spaces to grieve, um, have some very intimate times with the Lord. But then because I would leave it there, um, I didn't have to keep carrying it constantly. I could still go about my day. I could still tend to my son's needs. I could still tend to my own needs. I could still, Kevin and I could do the work we needed to do because I wasn't constantly consumed 24 hours a day. It was like these sacred moments I would carve out with the Lord. So that's how I began, just that how journal. And then I think um, eventually in time, that gave me enough bravery to be like, oh, other people are going through pain too. It's not just me. <laughs> You know, so how can we lead our church, especially Renewal Church, to lament? How can we teach people to cry out? Where can we create some gathering spaces in our church calendar where we can grieve and weep together? That has been so important during COVID for us to have um, moments like that. Let me ask you something um, when it comes to um, extra biblical uh, sources. And I'm, I want to kind of do a setup and maybe talk about like the need to part of this comes from like understanding our own emotional maturity, uh, family of origin. Sometimes this has a big factor as to being able to learn how to process emotion. Some of us were taught like we, uh, maybe it was you earlier, Jesse, that said, you know, some of us were taught that these were shameful emotions or, yeah. um, and then, you know, as a guy, our culture says that guys should only have certain kinds of emotions. And so stoicism is kind of like, Hey, you know, I mean, that's our predominant value when it comes to like being strong is being a stoic leader. Um, but did you, did you need other things outside of like scripture to work through those emotions? Um, what were some of those things? Cause I'm, I'm thinking as a church leader, uh, and a Christian leader, as you're talking about these things, it helps to unleash the imagination for those who are listening. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, you know, I'm a reader, so I tend to, uh, well, yeah, let me start there. Um, 
Soong Chun Ra has an amazing book called Prophetic Lament, uh, very biblically based, but an extra biblical resource. And he gave me a lot of courage, um, especially around um, beyond just my own personal lament, but lamenting on behalf of other people and seeing that that was also really biblical. Um, there's a great, I think it's out of print. It's an old discipleship book called The Critical Journey where um, the authors write about how these seasons, they call it the wall, these seasons where you hit a wall in your faith, where like canned spiritual answers don't work anymore. Things that used to work just suddenly don't. You have a choice at the wall. And we see a lot of Christians get here and decide they're not going to be Christians anymore, or they're walking away from the church or, you know, whatever. But if you can lean into the wall and just stay present there, then you find that you actually get on the other side of the wall with a more um, just authentic experience of Jesus. Faith becomes realer than it ever has. It becomes less about, you know, all the benefits and blessings and bonuses. It becomes about God, worshiping God for God's sake alone. So the critical journey was really helpful. I have a spiritual director that I meet with, and I think just to have that safe space to say, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I can lead a church, let alone walk with Jesus. I, and just for her to say, right, as has every other Christian leader felt that way before, I think just some validation was really helpful. And then honestly, some lament music. Jesse, I think you said this. All, all of our songs are, are overcomer songs. And I love those songs. But to find um, music and places in the arts that were expressing contradiction or that were expressing doubt or were that expressing pain, that was really helpful too. Because, you know, we're so wordy in the Western church, but a lot of these things, like there aren't good words for, we can't make sense of things that are senseless. And so be able to be able to just look through the eyes of an artist or hear the, the music of an artist um, that gives you a sense of courage, I think. That makes me think about um, a Mumford and Sons song um, in their second album where he's like, you know, when I'm neither lost or found, but I'm on my knees, if you still believe in me, I can still believe. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I, oh man, that's so beautiful. You know, I think, you know, personally, I would love to see therapy normalized for Christian leaders, you know, for the pastors that I work with and the pastors I coach and, and everything like, so for me, therapy is something I engage in regularly, like exercise. Like for me, I care for my body. I also care for my soul. And, and COVID it's been every other week before then it was like, you know, once a quarter or something, but, you know, but when I speak about therapy or, or engaging in, you know, that exposure of our lament and our grief to someone else and even learning tools from someone else on how to do that, you know, there's, there are paradigms that people have and, and ideas and things that they've been taught that we run up against, right? So, you know, and so they're, they're, they're resistant, you know, whether it's anti-psychology or just, you know, to grieve feels like failure. And so, you know, let's avoid that. Um, but what would you say to the pastor or the leader for whom inviting someone else into that emotional space, like a spiritual director, like the, that seems the most terrifying thing in the whole world. Right. What would you say to them? I also love therapy and have a therapist on speed dial that I often call. So I am a big fan of leaders, especially getting therapy because leadership is hard. And I, if you, if you say it's not hard, I, you're not leading. That's all I have to say. I don't know what's happening with you. I want to go lead where you are, but it is hard. Um, I think I would probably, 
I do know that there's that paradigm and perhaps even a stigma that if you go to a therapist, it means you're not dependent on God or um, you are falling apart or it's just for people who have like big T trauma. Um, so I think I would probably, you know, if you're a pastor that's struggling with the concept of therapy, but you feel like you need help, I think I would just ask why, like, what's the fear? There's really nothing to lose, especially for going to a godly therapist. And then um, I would say we're part of a communal faith, right? We are not meant to do this thing alone. We need other people, and especially for leaders. Though we want to be authentic in front of those that we lead, though we don't want to pretend, there are certain things about leadership that don't allow us to be our full selves all the time. And so to have a space like a therapist office or a spiritual director or a trusted life coach or guide, whatever, where you can just be like naked spiritually, raw spiritually, I am telling you, it is the most life-giving thing. It will in, You're investing in yourself, but as you invest in yourself, you're actually investing in the people that you lead because it will help you lead for the long run. It will help you keep enduring. And um, there's gifts in therapy. There's gifts in spiritual direction that the Lord wants to show you about himself and about who you are and how he's made you. So Aubrey, let, me, let me ask you something about that because I think so much of um, the, the grief the grieving uh, that pastors often experience um, comes from internal conflict from either the team or the church. Yeah. And, and maybe it's not some, a personal tension against uh, her or him. Sometimes mm -hmm. it, it could be, oftentimes it is actually, <laughs> but it could be just team dynamics, you know, and there's a grief of lack of unity, a grief of, um, you know, you just know that we're falling short, you know, of our potential as a team. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to, um, it's almost sometimes hard to name that, that it's a team loss, you know, that we're actually functioning underneath our potential and even our calling. We're, we're, we're not living up to what God's actually meaning for us to be as a leadership team or as a church. Yeah. And oftentimes that might, you know, come up as discouragement in terms of, uh, you know, our, our emotions, or it could be disappointment, but it's very, you know, it's your perspective as a leader and you realize that there's a flaw or there's a, there's a, a challenge in the church that we need to address. And I, this is not an easy question. And I don't expect you to give like, you know, the three steps to yeah. handling disunity in a church or, or yeah. not, but the, the process of naming that and like knowing that and, and, you know, at least, facing it like can you talk about moments where maybe you've had to do that or encourage some of our pastors because that's probably other than the funerals and in in you know maybe uh losses in terms of finances those kinds of things mm -hmm. that's really the day-to-day -day grieving that i think many people just hold in yeah. just hold it in they just kind of like let's just get through this year yeah. but no you, you got to really pinpoint it and deal with it so i mean what what's your what's been your experience yeah i mean you know this year like so I'm sure every single one of you, we have, we've lost people at our church because we've, you know, kind of said we won't stand for racism or we won't stand for sexism. Like we, we've said some things pretty boldly at Renewal Church this year and we've lost people. And that, I mean, I'm going to start crying thinking about it now. That has felt devastating. Not just the personal loss, but like, oh, wait, did we do that wrong? Oh, wait, 
why people are leaving? Do they not know us well enough to know that we love them and we love Jesus? And I mean, you just like, you question everything, right? And so um, disunity in the church is, I guess it's part of the fall, right? Part of the the sinfulness and the brokenness. Um, I will, I can say some beautiful things that have happened um, in that, that has felt very devastating and um, painful. We have had gatherings with our team leaders. We have, uh, we call them renewal communities. They're kind of like uh, missional communities all around the city. We've gathered with those leaders and with, um, you know, other folks in our church and typically over zoom because we're still honoring COVID regulations, but um, we have all lamented together. And we've lamented where we've messed up. We've lamented that disunity. We've lamented our own sin. We've lamented um, systemic sin. We've lamented all, I mean, just, you know, even recently we've seen some of leaders that the church has honored. We've seen their secrets come out and it's been really, really devastating. We've lamented those things and it has been hard and it has been painful. There have been a lot of tears, a lot of anger, but ultimately it has been such a beautiful example of what the church can be because we're doing it together. We're reminding each other to look to Jesus and um, we move forward in healing when we name things rightly. If we pretend like they don't exist then um, they're going to have power over us, right? But if we can name things rightly, the things that are wrong, then there's freedom in that. And I think that's a beautiful part about lament, especially communal lament. So, Aubrey, I wonder, I wonder if you can maybe describe what, what does it feel like on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, as, as we're talking about pain and grief and, and everything, I think that whether we've, we know how to grieve that or not, it can, we can identify with that feeling. Yeah. But for the person who, you know, doesn't know how to go through that, maybe paint a picture of what that space looks like on the other side, both, you know, maybe if you could describe the intimacy that you have with God, what does that feel like? What is it, what is it like to be with other people in that space? Like, what is the prize that you gained yeah. <laughs> by going through this? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause you don't want to feel like it's just heavy all the time. Um, Oh, yes. I am grateful to say that that was a season. It lasted for a long time, especially early on our, our really, really deep hurt. But um, we are not as buried in it as we were. Um, I, you know, I can share a couple stories that I think might just express some of the intimacy, how sweet the Lord has been to me. Um when I was really at the heart of our lament, I was um, grieving my cousin Cameron, like I said, and our son was really struggling. And I was just in a lot of pain, um, physical pain because of my own illness. I remembered that when I was little, I used to connect with God through butterflies, which sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. I just was that little girl who like would see a butterfly. And I knew that God made butterflies for me, you know? And um, I had a pastor friend actually challenge me, hey, what if you began to pray that God would show up like he did when you were little? Because I was really struggling to see God anywhere. Where's God's presence? I don't see God's presence in this. So he just said, what if you spent 30 days and just prayed for God to show, show up like he did when you were little or show up in a way that's personal? And so I didn't tell anyone, I didn't tell Kevin that I specifically began to pray that the Lord would show up through butterflies. And I felt a little sheepish doing it. I felt a little embarrassed doing it. I felt a little like, 
All right. It was sort of like this mild version of laying out my fleece, like, all right, Lord, here, here's a prayer. Let's see if you show up, you know, and I didn't have the best attitude about it, but I went to a church service of another friend. They were planting a church. It was their first service. And at the end of the service, I was waiting for Kevin to come pick me up because at the time I could barely walk. So he had to drive up to the front to pick me up from the church. And a lady came and tapped me on the shoulders and she was like, oh, hi, you know, we haven't met yet. And I sort of thought she was trying to get me there because I was a new person and she's trying to wrangle me in, you know, and I'm like, no, I, you know, I'm part of another church. We're just here to celebrate our friends. And she said, no, that's not it. She said, I, this is going to sound super weird, but I was sitting behind you in church. And um, she said, I just kept getting the image of a butterfly. And then she said, um, have you gone through something difficult recently? And I was like, why? Like, I didn't want to give anything away. I was like, why? And she goes, because the butterfly was half in the cocoon and half out. It's really in a, she called it a, a wilted season. It's in a wilted season, but I have this sense that you are about to come out of that season and soar. And I mean, I'm going to cry now talking about it, but um, I got in the car, Kevin pulled up and I was bawling and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, Kevin, the Lord sees me. The Lord knows me. The Lord is here. And I think that's sort of the intimacy that if I had not said to God, God, I need you to meet me here. Like I cannot keep going unless you show up. God showed up in the most profound way from a stranger, again, in church community. That's why we need each other. And um, I guess that's what I mean. That's, that's a small vision of God making all things new, of, of seeing glimpses of the kingdom here on earth. It is hard and life is hard, but God sees you and God meets you and God is intimate with his children. And so if we can open up the doors to lament and open up our hearts to it, he will meet us because he's Emmanuel. Wow. So good. Aubrey, thanks for, thanks for being so transparent and, and sharing that with us. I, I really I really think, um, you know, there's people listening that, I mean, to me, what I hear is like transformation. I mean, that, that idea of the chrysalis, that cocoon, like if as church leaders, we aren't experiencing like real life transformation in ourselves, then we can only really lead our congregation based off of theory or kind of mm -hmm. superficial or past moments. You know, it's almost like God is so, um, current. Like God is like, I want to give you real stories that are like current that are happening. And, you know, I want to encourage those who are listening because I know there's got to be moments where you're just kind of like, I don't, I don't know if I can continue. Yeah. I don't know if I can even finish the transformation process. Sometimes you're just aware. Sometimes, you know, God is actually in it and you're just like, God, don't finish it because for you to finish this could mean, you know, that I may not like come out on the other side. And I want to really encourage people. I just, from your story, as you're saying that, like God can only be real in like actual things, you know, like God can't be real in like a theoretical form. Like yeah. he has to really show up in places, in space, in time, change things. And that really, that's the only impetus that we have for our ministries. Like otherwise our ministries are built on theory and they're not built on real life. And so um, just thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I, I love to ask the both of you get all of our thoughts um, on on some things because we've all like collectively have walked through our walking through the pandemic. We're and and when I say the pandemic, 
not just the COVID-19 um, disease or the coronavirus, um, but uh, everything that, that's come with it. Uh, already, you've already talked about, you know, the race issues, the social tensions, mm -hmm. the political uh, climate that we've we've seen, you know, just this like split, you know, this wedge that we used to think it was just kind of like this thing that kept people on different sides. Like that thing just split wide open. Yeah. Families can't have certain discussions anymore. You know, it's a crazy, crazy time. What would you, if you were to look at the last 12 months, what are some things that church leaders have to be able to name? Yeah. We've gone through this. We can't ignore this. Yeah. Let's not pretend this didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, what are those things? Aubrey, we'll start with you. And then Jesse, I'll let me hear your thoughts. That's such an important question. Um, I think too, under the guise of like in, in the Bible, we see that laments are for all kinds of things. They're not just for people dying. We see laments for depression and corruption and soldiers. I mean, we, you know, we see laments for all kinds of things. So I think it is really biblical to name the things that need to be named. Like we said before, um, I certainly think um, there's some idolatry that the Lord seems to be calling out. I mean, I, you know, I am not uh, immune to this. And so I say this really carefully, but it seems like the Lord is cleaning house as far as some really unhealthy power structures that have existed that we've all participated in and we've all allowed to happen. The, um, the sexism, the racism, the economy tanking, the division, the hate, the um, just lack of compassion and love. I mean, those are, those are big things. And then also like... I said early on, we just buried a 25-year-old man from COVID complications, a young, healthy guy. If we can't name that like this year has been deeply painful as a church, I think even lamenting like, hey, we're online. We weren't online a year ago. That's cool in a lot of ways. That's devastating in other ways because we're not doing life in community right now. Now, many of us are starting to move towards that again, but... Um, those are some of the things that come to mind. I'd love to hear what Jesse has to say. Oh, man, you know, I started, um, I'm a spiritual director. I have like all these friends who give me great advice and I'm like, talk to me, I need help. <laughs> and one of them um, told me that I needed to have a funeral for uh, every month. That was the advice that he gave me in May. Like, what do you, what do you need to bury? What do you need to have a funeral for? And just let go. And I think in June, it was um, my faith in humanity to get better. <laughs> like that became what I had a funeral for. Because so I'm like, I don't know. I believe in progressive sanctification for an individual. I'm not really sold right now on progressive <laughs> sanctification for society. Yeah. And so I, got, I had to grieve the loss of that hope, the loss of that optimism. Like somehow society will just keep getting better and there will be fights we don't have to fight and things we don't have to contend for. And then, you know... Like, you know, yeah, I just felt like we were socially on this hamster wheel and I had to grieve my, the loss of my expectations <laughs> that we could make ground corporately. But then I also had to grieve my, the powerlessness mm -hmm. that I felt in that. Right. So for me, I, um, personally in my own seasons of, of grief, I've laid down the pen of my own life. Like I'm not the author of my own story. God's the author of my story. God's the author of your story. And the gift he gave me this summer was that God's the author of his story. Mm. And I don't actually have to, you know, and as a, as an apostolic and a change maker and prophetic person, like I'm always trying to affect history. And I had to grieve my powerlessness 
yeah. in that. Um, and that just kind of got me on this great pathway. And I, that's why I started doing therapy then every other week, because I needed, there was so much to grieve because for me as a national leader, I felt all of it. I felt the places that didn't have COVID um, restrictions and were open. And then what came for that? And I felt for the places that did and the loss of business. And it just became so much pain to hold that, you know, my own process of laying down in my own life. Right. So for myself, laying down my pain and my grief before the Lord is the same is the same process of doing that for the people that I lead. Right. So I can't do it for the people I lead if I don't know how to do it for myself. And then as I do it for myself, then I can also intercede and do it for all the grief that I hold as a leader for all the people that I walk through um, life with. And they just have that, I have that privilege of walking beside them. So yeah, there was a lot there that I had to grieve from my position of leadership. Um, There was very, very painful, like, like a gut welling sobs of God, we are so broken. The church is so broken. The church has lost you. And then helping pastors, I think over um, since the election, you know, in my faith tribe, it's, it's really diverse politically We're we're diverse, which means that there are people who feel very betrayed by God in what happened politically. And so naming that feeling, not, you know, for me, not judging that, Um, but naming that for them and helping them say, wow, I really feel let down by God in this season. I feel like God has abandoned me. God has abandoned the church because I don't want them to go to use performance, like hyper spiritual disciplines in order to make that up. Right. Because when we feel God has betrayed us, we can, we can lean towards this law performance. Uh, you know, God's mad at me. So I got to get his favor back. Like that's, that's never true. That's just never, ever, ever true. Um, and so in that anger towards God that, that I know so many people have for all of the reasons, just encouraging them to hang on to him, even while they're deconstructing maybe their theology in pockets. Mm-hmm. So it's, oh man, it's been intense. <laughs> I, everyone's coming out of this place marked. I just hope that we're marked by intimacy instead of cynicism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Uh, what I'd like to do, I mean, we're, we'll wrap up here in just a little bit, but I want to give you some time to think about because I want to give my thoughts about what we sh- should name too. But you know, we're in we're in the we're in the the Lenten season. I mean, we're looking towards Easter. Like Easter is coming. It's a it's part of our liturgy to know to remind us every year that Jesus won, Jesus wins, the resurrection has come, is coming. Uh, and so I want you to, in a second here, speak to church leaders to how to really approach this next month in leading their churches, regardless of where they're around the world. We're all in different parts of the uh, the world that's listening today. But what we should do over the next four weeks, getting our church ready to, to celebrate Easter, because that's the, that's the greatest reality. But um, I was even thinking about some of the things that you were talking about and how it reminded me of like, I feel like we're in a Nehemiah moment, like Nehemiah chapter one. I mean, there's that, that when he realizes that his, his, you know, his place of heritage, his national, like, um, uh, you know, uh, country was, was, you know, was just really struggling. And um, it hit me when during the inauguration this year, when Garth Brooks was singing Amazing Grace. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not crying. That's just allergies. But <laughs> I'm really not crying. But that day, though, when he sung Amazing Grace, I got I to gotta admit, there was a tear in my eye. And um, a part of that was because as he was singing Amazing Grace, he actually, I don't know if you remember this moment, 
but he actually stopped singing and he asked everybody like both in presence and whoever's watching on TV to sing amazing grace with him. And it was, that was probably the first moment where it dawned on me, dang, like we went through a lot as a nation. Like, I mean, you'd know that, but then it was that, it was that shared moment where it was kind of that Nehemiah moment. It was kind of like, wow, like, man, we have so much that we need to work on. We really need God to just really show up. Like if, if God is not going to show up in our personal lives, in our corporate lives, then man, we're just utterly, you know, uh, undone. And that's probably not a bad place to be. It's definitely not a bad place for the church to be. And I really do think that it's a great setup. It's like that good Friday moment. You know, you're just kind of like, I know this is not a great place to be, but I also know it's not the end. So with that in mind, the both of you, I'd love to hear from the both of you. Just speak into the Lent season. You know, we are we're into week one into Lent. Uh, we're looking at the next couple of weeks. For those who follow the liturgical calendar, they've got things weekly that they're doing. But all of us are going to remember Good Friday, Easter. Aubrey, what do you have to say in terms of just getting our, our hearts ready for that? Yeah. Oh, I love the Lent season, by the way. It's it it's strange to do it this year, I feel like, for some reason, because we've all sort of lived through this uh, Lent, really. We've. I feel like we've been living in Good Friday for a long time now, so I can't wait for Easter Sunday. Um, the thing that keeps coming through my mind related to lament and hope is, um, you know, the very famous story of Jesus in John 11 with Lazarus, right? Where he gets to his friend's graveside and weeps that um, his friend has died and weeps that, you know, Mary is saying to him, if you would have been here, you know, this wouldn't have happened. And he grieves, we see our Lord grieve. But then just a little bit later, we see him say like, all right, let's move that, get that stone rolled away. And he calls Lazarus by name. And again, that image that I think we need to hold during Lent of an ambidextrous faith that we hold the reality that evil is evil, suffering is real, this year has been hard, period. And also God is at work and also God is making all things new and also the reality of the resurrection and also one day Jesus is gonna return. I think if we can lead our people to hold both things, looking to this, but not neglecting this, then we've done a good job as leaders guiding our people through Lent into Easter Sunday. Well, Aubrey, that's, that is beautiful. Um, I don't, I don't know what I would have to add to that. Um, other than (laughs) maybe, I think if we, if we're hanging and holding on for Easter Sunday, because it's our escape hatch, then I think we'll miss the gift that God wants to give us in this space. You know, the gift, the gift of suffering, the gift that God gives us there is, he, he disassembles our transactional relationship with him. And he says, you know what? I'm not, I'm not a formula God. I'm not an equation God. I'm not going to be controlled or manipulated by your actions and your behavior. Like I'm really like apart from you, he has good boundaries. And he's like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And my love for you is real. And my will happens. And this is where I'm Trinitarian. Um, And 
And if we abide with him and learn that in the midst of our struggle and our suffering and our questions and not understanding how he's good, then that helps detangle those transactional dynamics we have with him. And so I would, I would hope for us as the world. And I love that the whole world goes through Lent and the whole world comes to Easter. Like that remains phenomenal to me that the whole world celebrates Easter, the same celebration on the same day. Um, And I think if we can come to that and we can say in the words of Job, though you slay me, I will praise you. Like if we could get to there where we're like, okay, God, whatever it looks like coming out of this, you're God and you're amazing and you love me and you're good. And I believe all of that because I believe in your character more than I believe in your hand. If like, then I would think we, we will have untold spiritual depth and treasures from this season. So that would be, those would be my few thoughts there, Daniel. How about you? Yeah, no, I mean, really nothing, nothing to add. I think just on the the ground level, as we're leading our churches um, this year, uh, I love that picture of that ambidextrous left and right. I think, I mean, that's Good Friday, that's uh, Easter Sunday. And I think that we have plenty of examples to draw on from this past year, uh, but there's so much hope that we can offer to a non-believing world. And even when we lament and we grieve well, that actually is a great witness to the non-believing world because they're looking for venues. They're looking for ways to do it in a way that's healthy, in a way that unites their families, in a way that brings them together. And I really do think the church has a long proven history of this. And we've got in an entire book, the Bible, that teaches us how to do this. So let's get to the work of helping those who are far from Jesus learn how to do that well. Hey, I am so honored uh, to be with the both of you. Aubrey, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Jesse, uh, I might just have to get a replacement host for Peyton. Uh, (laughs) Oh, perfect. Jesse's moving in. That's right. So thanks for uh, jumping in today and filling in for Peyton. So, hey, and for all of you, thanks for uh, being with us this week and talking about such an important subject. Just real quick before we go, I want to let you know that coming up in just a couple of days here, actually in two days, we are jumping into Exponential's future of the Church National Summit that's happening this Thursday from 1 to 5 Eastern uh, time. And it's an amazing time for a lot of our uh, church leaders all across uh, the United States, Andy Stanley, Mark DeMoss, uh, others, including myself. Uh, we will talk about the future of the church here in North America, and spe- specifically some of the trends that we've seen develop over the last few years. So uh, it's not too late to register. We've already had over 3,500 people register for it, so make sure that you're one of those as well. And so God bless you. Thanks for joining us. See you uh, in two weeks on the next episode of Frontlines. God bless you.